Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 88. Today's episode is all about how your movement impacts who you are. How I move impacts my mental health, not just how I operate in the world. And that to me was a piece that even if people understand it, was missing from the story. People weren't necessarily going into depth as to how our movement and movement patterns contribute to our thought patterns. And so often we hear change your mind, change your movement, you know, change your thoughts, change your body. I really wanted to make sure that there was a mainstream narrative that talked about it from the other perspective, that if you don't know how to change your thoughts or don't think you can, we have to start in the body and small micro movements are the way to do that. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. What if I told you that the way you move impacts the person that you are? And if you consciously begin to move differently, your whole life could change. It sounds surprising at first, but think about it. You've probably watched Amy Cuddy's TED Talk about power posing. And if you haven't, you really should because you're like the only one in the world who hasn't. Seriously, that shit got like 65 million views. But I'll give you the rundown. We can often tell when someone is confident or insecure by the way that they carry themselves. But you can also reverse it. If you're feeling insecure and you stand in what she calls a power pose, so imagine standing up tall with your hands on your hips like Wonder Woman, you can actually feel more confident. Also, studies have shown that smiling makes you feel happier or that moving sensually makes you feel more sensual. To me, it's a prime example of fake it until you make it. I don't love the phrase fake it so much because there's just a lot of connotations there, but another way to word it is do something until it starts to feel more natural. I'm pretty sure that every change I've ever made in my life has felt foreign at first. But if it's not something I'm used to doing yet, of course it's going to feel weird. And some people give that foreign feeling meaning and say, well, this just doesn't feel like me. And my response to that is, It doesn't feel like this version of you, or it doesn't feel like the person you want to be. Because both of those people are still you. You aren't this static being who will never evolve from the person you were in childhood. Our brains are these powerful machines that seek to make new connections, and learn, and grow, and transform the human that they belong to. And if you want to go a level deeper... Our souls chose life to experience human existence and transform as we find meaning in that life. When I was pregnant, I fell into a period of depression. I hadn't felt that way since I was in my early 20s, and frankly, it was pretty humbling. I had the tools this time to help myself out of it. But of course, it took me a while to remember that I had that power because the dark cloud just felt so thick. A huge part of my process was doing things that I know logically lift me up, but felt terrible at the time. I had to tap into the vibrant, happy version of myself, even though I didn't feel like that version of me at all. I didn't want to go on walks or do yoga or be around people, 
But I knew that those were the things that would be my lifeline. I just had to trust my higher self. And so I did. And little by little, the shell of depression started cracking. But it didn't feel natural or normal at all. I could barely remember what it felt like to be the version of me that happily and naturally did all of those things. It reminds me of Einstein's quote, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. I'm going to repeat that and really let it sink in. You can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. So if you're feeling stuck or out of control or mentally frenzied, why would we think that doing the same thing that got us there would get us out? We are such multidimensional beings. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in this life is every decision I make, everything I do impacts the person I'm becoming. Because that's just it. We are constantly becoming. We're never stagnant. So if our smiles and our posture can impact our moods, and our moods impact our disposition, and our disposition impacts our personalities, and our personalities impact what we believe we're capable of, and what we believe we're capable of impacts what we do in this life, then how can we harness the power of movement to become the best versions of ourselves? So if we can change our habits of eating and our habits of thought, why can't we change our habits of movement? And if we change our movement, what kind of ripple effect does that have on our lives? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Erica Hornthal. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor and board certified dance and movement therapist. And she's known as the therapist who moves you. Erica's mission is to change the way people see movement with regard to mental health, moving people towards unlimited potential, greater awareness, and purpose by tapping into their innate body wisdom. So three key things we will learn are how to identify where you're holding emotions in your body, how to identify your default movement patterns, and how to challenge your movement in small ways to open yourself up for change. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth, and as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. And now let's welcome Erica Hornthal to the show. Thank you for having me. So what interested you in studying movement and body awareness? I think it all started with just being a kid that loved to move and dance. And 
thankfully having a caregiver, parent, mom in particular, that thought to put all of that energy into a formal class, right? Like a structure where I could safely experience the boundaries of my own body and express myself creatively through movement. So I think it definitely started from a young age. And, you know, honestly, as I got older, it just more became about preserving that and not wanting to let go of my connection to dance, but also recognizing that professional dance and, you know, choreography or production really wasn't going to be in the cards for me. So I ended up thankfully finding the field of dance movement therapy, which really brought together my love for helping people and, and talking to people and using my body as a tool for expression, as a tool for relationship and a model for intervention uh, within the therapeutic relationship. And so I think naturally from getting my master's in dance movement therapy, my interests were piqued through just awareness in general and how we can use our bodies to be more aware of our mental health. So was I always aware of my own body? Certainly not. <laughs> I, I turned that off very easily, very quickly when I was younger. And did I understand the power of body awareness? I would say not really until maybe the last 10 years, you know, probably five or six years more solidly, but definitely within the last 10 years. So body awareness is, I always say like, it's still something I'm working on and, you know, writing about it was just kind of me supporting myself and also being able to share with people this journey, right? Parallel process, if you will, that we can go on it together. I totally relate to turning your body off at a young age. I had a, a pretty severe eating disorder for like 10 years. And not only that, but just like binge drinking in my 20s and party drugs and then being prescribed Adderall for years and years. When I remember first starting to try to tune into my body and I like couldn't feel certain things. And it, it reminds me of when you are building muscle in certain places and you start to, maybe you're doing like a Pilates class or something like that. And they're like telling you to like move your leg in a certain way. And you're like, I don't even know if my leg moves that way. But then like three months down the line, you're like, oh yeah, I feel exactly the muscle that they're talking about. But before you actually work it, maybe it's because it has no strength that you can't feel it. And so yeah. turning into my body was a whole new process. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many different types of awareness, right? We can talk about kind of that external internal awareness, right? Being aware of how something feels externally or how to manipulate, like you said, a certain muscle or certain part. And then actually having that interoceptive approach, right? Like that internal approach to how, what am I feeling in my body? How do I connect to this part of the body that actually allows that part to move? Um, I've experienced, experienced that myself. I've certainly heard it from clients, friends, colleagues, you know, that are similar, you know, went to a yoga class or a Pilates class or something. And they're like, Hey, can you move this part? And either they say, aren't I, <laughs> aren't I already moving that part? Or I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to access that part of my body. And it's totally teachable. Um, I think oftentimes it starts with that inside out approach because we, we can't necessarily move or be in relationship with something we don't have a connection with. Yeah, I actually was just thinking about this the other day because I remember going to an acro yoga class years ago and this woman was trying to teach me how to spread my toes and I was like, my pinky toe just doesn't move like that. And today I was in yoga and I was looking up at my feet because I was on my back and I was moving my pinky toe and I thought to myself, 
she was right. <laughs> like It just took a couple of years of me being like, I can move you, pinky toe. I can move you. Right. And it's interesting because we hear a lot about body awareness from different perspectives. But one thing that I f- was really drawn to your work is that you talk about the how the way we move actually impacts who we are. Mm-hmm. When did you begin to discover that? I guess in some part, I always intuitively knew that. But again, like going through school as a dance movement therapist, that was not a narrative. That was not something that I heard, you know, remember hearing anyone say, you know, change the way you move, change the way you live, or who you are is how you move. As I began to research it because I was really interested in it myself, yes, there are people that have been talking about that since probably the beginning of time, but people like Joseph Pilates, right, talking about changing your movement to actually, you know, improve not just our physicality, but our mentality as well. So honestly, I think when it first hit me, and not from a mental health perspective, but just biomechanically, I was reading a book by Katie Bowman, who was a biomechanist. I think it was the book, Move Your DNA or Movement Matters, one of the two. She has so many amazing books. And it was in there that she wrote basically like how you are, how you move is who you are. And when I read that, I it, it just immediately hit me like, yeah, I get that. I say that all the time. But for me, it was more of a how I move impacts my mental health not just how I operate in the world. And that to me was a piece that even if people understand it was missing from the story, people weren't necessarily going into depth as to how our movement and movement patterns contribute to our thought patterns. And so often we hear change your mind, change your movement, you know, change your thoughts, change your body. I really wanted to make sure that there was a mainstream narrative that talked about it from the other perspective, that if you don't know how to change your thoughts or don't think you can, we have to start in the body and small micro movements are the way to do that. What does this mean for people? What types of movements are bad for mental health? What types of movements are great for mental health? And how do we start to check in where we might be right now to see if there's something that we need to shift? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. 
When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What types of movements are bad for mental health? What types of movements are great for mental health? And how do we start to check in where we might be right now to see if there's something that we need to shift? Oh my gosh, those are such good questions. So I'll try to break it down a little bit, right? So your first question was what movements are bad for mental health, right? Because so often we think all movements good for mental health, right? If we get our bodies moving, then our endorphins, you know, are there, serotonin levels change. And I always like to point out that we have to be sensitive to how the way we're moving when we exercise in particular perpetuates the stress cycle that we're in. So as an example, we hear like fight, flight, or freeze usually. If we're a flighter and in our exercise, we like to run, we just have to make sure that we're not perpetuating the run cycle, you know, that we're actually allowing ourselves to complete the stress cycle so that we're not constantly physically and emotionally running from things. And so what might that look like? I always support or, or try to spread the idea of creating a well-rounded or diverse movement profile. So while, let's say, a runner might not want to be a Tai Chi, you know, engage in Tai Chi, I mean, I'm just making assumptions kind of, but like if I'm a runner and Tai Chi, Chi or yoga or something slower paced makes me cringe, or it just, it's just not my, my cup of tea. It doesn't mean we have to engage in a 30 to 60 minute practice, but for our body to engage in new habits and patterns, it's beneficial to try all different types of movement, different pacing, different intensities, different rhythms. So is it bad movement? No, it's just patterned movement. And so what's good movement for mental health it's, it's getting us out of our comfort zone and it's not pushing ourselves because we don't want to, again, trigger ourselves or overwhelm the system more. So we want to diversify the system. So no one ever grows if we don't change. Right. And so even thinking about how I move today and if we're thinking about exercise in particular, 
am I always doing the same exercises? Like I love dance, but I really try hard not to only engage in one style or one class all the time because then my, my body, just like our muscles get used to it. And there's no, there's no growth, right? There's no physical growth. There's no emotional growth. And we can actually perpetuate stuckness. We can keep ourselves right where we are. So what people can do is start looking at ways they're already moving, right? What are my normal movement habits or exercise patterns? And what are some things that might be out of my comfort zone that I might indulge in, right? Or just start to ponder. (laughs) If the thought of actually going and doing it is overwhelming, then we, you know, just backtrack a little bit. But it doesn't have to be exercise. I think of just how I walk, how I sit, how I gesture, how I speak to my kids, how I talk to my family, my neighbors, you know, start looking at those small ways that I show up in my body. And if I can start to shift them, literally shift them, that's a step in the right direction. So hopefully that answers your beautiful questions because those are those are books in themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about my own life and my movement patterns. And I did just get home from a yoga class. Mm-hmm. And I've always really loved trying out different types of workouts. Like back when I lived in LA and class pass, it was, Mm. I was all over the place. I was doing CrossFit and Pilates, but I always come back to yoga, at least for the last, like, since 2007. And so yoga is my main practice. And Mm. so I was thinking as you were talking, when there's times that I'm doing only yoga as my main physical movement, potentially that could be bad because it's just one pattern. Is that correct? Yes and no, right? So if you're using yoga as your home base, let's say, right? That's where I center. It's where I ground myself. I can be most present. Then, then, yeah, we want to keep that habit, that ritual, so to speak, because that can be what really keeps us connected to the present moment. It can keep us feeling a sense of safety and security in our body when God knows the world is less than, right? So again, I think it's this check-in. We have to have this constant, maybe not constant, but we have to be able to check in with ourselves and ask, how is this serving me, right? And am I getting good from this? Good meaning like meaning, purpose. Am I feeling more balanced, more connected? Am I on autopilot? You know, when we move from habitual places, oftentimes our mind isn't focused on the movement. That's when our body has muscle memory. We're going through the motions and we're not bringing in the emotions. And that, that's a problem, right? So we can say, but I practice all the time. I'm always exercising. I do these meditative practices. I do these grounded techniques. Why am I still so anxious, right? Like my psychiatrist or my doctor or my neighbor says, you know, do this. It'll make you feel better. But if we're not mindful and bodyful while we're doing it, that's a problem. So my, my answer to that is just, are we on autopilot when we're doing these forms of movement? And if that's the case, then you can keep doing them, but switch it up, right? So if I'm always used to doing the same teacher, the same class, the same time, same day, can I change my schedule a bit? Instead of doing it on Wednesday, maybe I do it Friday. Maybe instead of doing it at night, I do it in the morning. Um, And I know that's hard because people's schedules are what they are. You know, we've got kids, we've got work, et cetera. But looking at opportunity and possibility within the movement ritual, within the structure, And again, asking myself, am I mindful? Am I in a place where I'm paying attention to what's happening? Or is what I'm doing contributing to that autopilot, which is what keeps us stuck and keeps us in those 
again, stress cycles that are unhealthy. I have to look at the full picture of my movement too, though. And I, I do long walks and then I have a 15 month old. And so I liken that to being a full all day intermittent kettlebell class. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, yeah, lifting. I mean, you know, if you have a little kid, you're moving all the time. So you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, so that's good. But I will say right now in order to keep my sanity, I am so structured. Like I get up at the same time. I do this. I meditate the first thing. I take my vitamins. I come and get some writing done. I wake up my baby. Like every day is so structured right now, which is just so funny because it's the opposite of what I've mm. ever, ever been in my life. And so I love the idea of still having your structure, but there's something I used to do before I had a kid. And I had basically a list of like movement things, mind, uh, mindset or mental health things such as meditation or, or breath work or like a, a few of those things. Cause I've always been a based on my moods type of person. So I'm like, well, I don't want to meditate. Okay. I'll do breath work instead. And mm-hmm. that way I'm still getting kind of all that mind, body and spirit. But for listeners out there that might not have a practice in any of these things, how can they best gauge where they are in their bodies right now so that they know where they're starting from? Oh, yes. Perfect. Great question, right? So I think the most basic thing, again, we talk about awareness, right? Body awareness is taking time to ask, what am I aware of in this moment? So what parts of my body am I really focused on? Because that usually tells us what parts are either super active, activated, right? Either like holding our pain or our tension or our stress. It also highlights the areas of our body that we're not tuned into. So I'll use myself as an example. I'm pretty much, I mean, I'm very body aware, but I'm always aware of my shoulder and my neck because my my shoulders and my neck is where a bulk of my tension and stress rests. Even if I'm not feeling stressed, uh, it's how I sit too. You know, I've been become so accustomed to sitting at this desk, which is not ergonomic by any means. It wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I don't really do a lot of work here, except when there's a pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, I rest my shoulders. I'm, you know, I'm sitting with the, my my chin on my hands. I'm leaning into my screen. I'm putting a lot of load on my shoulders, and so I, an area that's already prone to stress just constrict, constricts and gets tighter and tighter. Meanwhile, I'm not paying attention to my lower body. So it's really just starting to take time to become aware of how am I showing up in my body right now? Again, using myself as an example, I'm sitting on one of my legs. And until I realized how I was sitting, I didn't even realize that my left foot was asleep. (laughs) So I'm going to take this time now to actually not sit on my leg, which I do all the time, put my feet on the floor, which is a way to ground myself. And then I can become aware of, my lower body, my knees, my calves, my shins, my thighs, my butt, my hips, and start to stack myself back up. So again, it's not so much about what movement I can bring into my day. It's what movement's already happening, you know, or, or not happening. And so if you're feeling really disconnected from your body or from movement in general, take opportunities to just start to become aware of what you're doing in any given moment. And if that's hard to do or hard to remember, I literally will use or tell clients to use a phone, set a reminder on your phone, go back to good old post-it notes and put a post-it note wherever you frequent. If you're always opening the refrigerator on a daily basis, put a sticky note on your refrigerator that says, how are you moving today? Have you checked in with your body? What parts aren't moving right now? Because 
we're always moving. There's always some movement happening, even if it's involuntary, like our breath or our heartbeats. But we're not accustomed to tuning into it. We don't really pay attention and we don't want to, right? Because it's like, oh, it happens automatically. I don't really need to be aware of it. It's something my body does on its own. But that doesn't mean it's helping. It doesn't mean that it's the healthiest way that it's happening. So like you said, we might look into breath work or, you know, looking at the ways that what we're doing isn't necessarily supporting or um, helping us in, in the in the healthiest way possible. So, you know, try not to get overwhelmed by the thought of bringing in more movement or creating exercise or even a routine at all. It's literally just about building awareness around how I'm moving and how I currently am on autopilot with regard to movement. Yeah, and I think some people think that because something's on autopilot, sort of like you said, they're just like, oh, well, my body's handling it. It's on autopilot or it's even a part of my autonomic systems. But you can still build bad habits because those autonomic systems are working in relationship with your other emotions and the energy that you're carrying. And so an example of this that comes to mind is like breathing. Of course, breathing is comes naturally to all of us. It just happens. But over time, certain people, especially people that tend to hold more stress, their breathing becomes shallower. And the way Mm -hmm. to combat that is to actually consciously take deeper breaths. And at first people are like, but then I have to think about it to take deeper breaths versus it just happening. Like, this is the way it just happens. It just happens shallow. I it's impossible to always be focusing on deep breathing. But what happens is that the more that you focus on that, the more that starts to build into your natural patterns. And over time, you start to breathe deeper. So the same thing can happen with our movements when we're acting restricted. And I'm reminded about how when I was really deep in my eating disorder and I started to build body awareness, I noticed that one of the things that I would do is I would not even just slouch. It was like I was picturing my whole front abdominal area like shrinking inward. Like Mm -hmm. that it was my way of like sucking in, hiding, becoming smaller. And over time, that was originally so deeply ingrained. But over time, I focused on enough expansiveness and first just thought about the word and then maybe dropped my shoulders back, opened up that area. And now my default is to sit in a more expansive way. So that sounds like an example of what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. You know, and even considering, you know, how this posture perpetuates the mindset, right? Or vice versa, how my mindset is perpetuated by this posture. They go hand in hand, right? The whole mind-body connection. Um, and, you know, while it's not a specialty, I've, I've definitely had the pleasure of working with quite a few people that identify as, you know, having disordered eating um, or actually have a diagnosis of an eating disorder. And sometimes because it's so ingrained in their identity, it's hard to let go of that right? There's even a, I don't want to get better for a lot of my clients. You know, this is who I am. This is my identity. If I let go of this, who am I without it? And that's so ingrained in our core. I mean, our spine is where our self-awareness lies. And so there's a resistance sometimes to sitting up straight. There's a resistance to tapping into my self-awareness because there's discomfort, there's pain, there's anxiety, there's so many emotions, right? So I think even being aware can cause a lot of discomfort and and anxiety to say the least. And so being compassionate with how quickly we do those things, how often we engage in an awareness practice, like 
it's not about throwing ourselves in the deep end, right? It's just about stretching a muscle that's been dormant for a very long time. Because as you said, it's something we've, just like those involuntary movements, it's something we're born with. We have this capacity. It is the first way that we communicate our needs and our wants. We're not verbal. And some people are never verbal, but that doesn't mean that they're not speaking. It doesn't mean that they're not able to communicate what they need and what they want. So it's not even something we have to learn. I always say it's something we have to relearn because it's there. It's just been dormant for a really long time. And we may even be the ones silencing it and perpetuating that disconnect. You know, I identify myself with, I think from a young age, associating the body with pain and illness, you know, that if you're not aware of your body, there was some part of me that felt like, oh, then you're healthy because you don't have to think about it. And if you're focused on your body, it's because there's disease or sickness or illness. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, I just associated body or being in my body as feeling ill or or, or like, I know I'm in my body when I'm not feeling well. And I know that's not true anymore, but I really had to meet myself where that was, you know, that I have to go into those uncomfortable or unaware places to start to become more aware of what's there and what we're holding on to. Um, you know, we always want to let go, right? We always want to just get rid of what doesn't serve us, but we can't really let go of something if we don't know where it's coming from and where it lies in our body. And you don't, again, don't have to overwhelm the system. You don't have to do it all at once. It's, it's just slowly kind of like slowly letting the air out of the balloon in trauma therapy. They talk about is titration, you know, slow, 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 because that's where the sustainability is. That's how that growth and healing happens. It, It doesn't, stay if we just immerse ourselves completely because then we just freak ourselves out and run away (laughs) or freeze up (laughs) (laughs) yeah that makes sense ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so, so much of this awareness is like identifying where we're holding tension and just the subtle energy shifts that we feel. And I know it's come up a a ton in past episodes about how we hold emotions in our bodies. Mm -hmm. How does things like tension connect with our emotions and how can we get more clarity on maybe how our body is trying to speak to us about not just what we're feeling, but what we're feeling physically, but what we're feeling emotionally? A really important question to say the least. It's the takeaway, right? People are always like, great, but how do I do this? How do I listen to my body? How do I know what it's telling me? Especially because we always try to assign things. 
we want to place judgment and make assumptions about what we feel or why we feel it. So I always say that one, it's not about body language. It's really about learning your body's language and that my body's language is not really going to be like anybody else's, even though there are commonalities, you know, we all move in three dimensions. We all have similar movement phrases, but we all have our own signatures, you know, kind of like our own fingerprints, if you will, when it comes to our movement patterns and characteristics. So with regard to really listening and starting to undercover like where I hold my emotions, so it's it becomes really about noticing the sensations in the body. Because honestly, once there's a thought around it, it's already been in the body for quite a long time. <laughs> And so then it kind of becomes, how can I shorten the distance, right, between ruminating on it and noticing, maybe not the moment it happens, but start to notice those feelings. So if all of a sudden I'm super aware of how tight my shoulders are, like for me, on a really tense day, if I'm not paying attention, my body lets me know because at the end of the day, I have a tension headache. And then I I think, oh gosh, I should have seen this coming, but I wasn't paying attention. And even myself. I don't always pay attention depending on what's going on around me and how overwhelmed I am. But what I've been able to do is when I'm, when I remember when I'm very mindful, I can actually pinpoint the place in my back. It's right between my shoulder blades where the tension occurs. And there's usually a little knot. (laughs) And if I tend to that on a semi-regular basis, and that can just be rolling my shoulders It might be stretching my arms across my chest. Sometimes I'll take a a softball, a tennis ball. And even if I'm not feeling tension because I know that place is susceptible to it, I will, you know, place it against the wall and just gently like roll my scapula kind of around the ball, you know, or, or lay down. You can do it with a foam roller. And so I'm kind of learning to speak the language of my body because I know that it's saying like, hey, we're carrying a little stress here. Can you tend to this before it becomes something that's really, really overwhelming and painful and actually wants to take you out of your body as opposed to like really being focused and and trying to listen to it before it becomes unbearable, right? Or, Or start screaming at us. So some other ways to do this is starting with thinking of certain emotions and rather than going at like a, you know, on a one to 10, thinking of a 10, start somewhere on like a four, maybe a five, a story or an instance that conjures up that emotion and just notice what parts of your body start to stir when you're thinking of that memory or that, that emotional uh, situation. You know, if I'm thinking of something that brings me happiness, I always ask my clients, how do you know you feel happy? If you can't speak, can't tell me, could you show me, or what do you notice in your body that suggests happiness? And when you really start to think about it, because at first kind of sometimes you get this look of like, I don't know. I'm just happy. <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, just, just be with it for a moment. Like pay attention. What does your body feel as you're happy? And then I'll get, oh, my face is, is starting to flush or my cheeks are, are squeezed or I'm smiling or my hands are tingly. Like these small little sensations start to tell us what we're experiencing as an emotion. Like our, our molecules all throughout our body that help not only create emotion, but help us feel those emotions. So just really becoming curious about like where these emotions originate and how my body holds them. You know, start with something that's, I would say, pleasurable or at the very least benign. 
you know, we don't want to jump into something that's really heated and, and triggering for us. But that also allows us to later on feel things that are less than comfortable, you know, and start to identify where we're feeling them. So certain people are going to hold certain emotions in different places. It's not always a universal thing. That's so helpful because so often we think, okay, well, I'm feeling a lot in my body. And so then all of a sudden we're like, what does this mean? But when we can actually work reverse where it's like, I'm feeling so sad right now. How else does this feel in my body? And then maybe later on when you're just going through the motions of life and you're like, all of a sudden feeling those same sensations, it could be your body telling you, hey, slow down. You might be processing some grief that you're not giving time or something along those lines. Absolutely. Sometimes we have to, ideally we want to go from that bottom up, but sometimes, especially because we're so cerebral, we need to start from that place of top down, you know, and start with the emotions, start with the the judgments, the assumptions that we make, and then notice what the body is saying, even though that's the first place. And then we can reverse it and really go into the body and notice what's happening here. And what does this feel like? You know, what emotion do I equate this with? The interesting thing is when I do kind of these, this mapping, if you will, with clients, we identify so many emotions that overlap in different parts of our body. So we can't just say, oh, my tension's in my chest. Because I've had people say, well, look, I'm happy in my chest. I'm sad in my chest. I'm angry in my chest. But I'm also these things in other parts too. So I can start to decipher, hmm, is this anger? Well, you know what? Usually my hands are involved in anger and my hands aren't feeling anything right now. I think what's telling too are the parts that aren't, that we're either not listening to or that aren't speaking, you know, or that everything else is so loud we can't hear them. So if you're tending to focus so much on your upper body and you feel lots there, know that you can go into your lower body to actually help regulate. You know, you can remind yourself to stand on your feet, bend your knees, circle your hips, sway side to side. We get so immobilized and so focused on the parts that are frozen that we forget about the parts that aren't necessarily frozen, but just we're not aware of, (laughs) you know, so... We're very focused on where we feel pain and constriction and frustration and anger and anxiety. And then it starts to overtake our whole body. And then we just, we get this like, I am anxious, not I feel anxious, right? And so you can ask yourself, well, where don't I feel these things, right? Just as much as I said, this is where I feel this emotion. We can also go with, where do I feel the absence of this emotion? Because if it's something that feels very threatening or very uncomfortable in the moment, Perhaps I can go into a part of my body that isn't feeling that way and I can, you know, kind of oscillate between the two or I can look for some stability, safety, even some sense of embodied security by going into parts that aren't activated. Does that make sense? I'm like, it does. Okay. <laughs> so, so far we've learned how to build more awareness within our body, how to notice what the sensations are that our emotions hold so that we can work either way and and start from one end or the other and learn more about the complete picture. Mm-hmm. And you also talk about, oh, and we also learned about identifying patterns of our own movement so that we can start to break those. And so you also talk about challenging your movement so that we expand beyond our just our patterns. And I think maybe what you were just talking about, like, when your body's calling attention to your shoulders all the time, one of the ways to challenge that, or those are more challenging the feelings, I suppose, is you can tune into some of the other areas. But what are some of the ways that we can 
actually challenge those movement patterns so that we are not kind of getting stuck in not just those patterns of movement, but just in those patterns of being as well, since these movement patterns do impact who we are. Yeah. I, this is something I practice on a regular basis. And I, again, another question I love to answer, I'll use myself as an example because I think, you know, why not? But if we're looking at exercise, right, I know we're not just talking about exercise, but if you're looking at exercise, going back to what I mentioned um, earlier in the conversation about diversifying the kind of exercise we're doing, you know, looking at the pace, the tempo, the intensity, if I'm always doing high intensity, can I do something that's lower? If I'm always going very slow in my movements, can I, you know, bring in something a little faster or a more syncopated or even a polyrhythm, you know, multiple rhythms at one time. So that's kind of the exercise piece, you know, and again, I'm not an exercise specialist, a physical therapist, none of those things. Um, so always consult, you know, your doctor or <laughs> <some form> <laughs> professional in those areas, but, you know, diversify your, your exercise strategies, if you will. But when it comes to challenging just your movement patterns and how we are moving in our body on a regular basis, there's so many great ways. So my favorite exercise, you know, kind of air quote exercise is just challenging what hands and sides of the body that we use on a regular basis and try to do it in pretty benign situations. So brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand, brush your hair with your non-dominant hand, high five someone with your non-dominant hand, eat, drink, you know, nothing hot because we don't want to hurt ourselves, but like the ingrained habit of I reach for my coffee cup with my left hand. And I'm really trying to be mindful of like, well, what if I do it with my right hand? Because I'm not a righty. And getting to the point where it might be uncomfortable, but we can we can be with the discomfort. It's okay to be uncomfortable. We have to manage the discomfort. So a couple examples that I will tell you about myself is obviously I kind of challenge these things on a regular basis, but through the pandemic, I was not moving in the ways, obviously I'm moving, but I was not moving in the ways that I wanted to. I wasn't taking dance classes. I was having trouble doing them online. And I found myself, I have, I have kids, I have a toddler right now sitting on the floor, you know, watching him play or trying to engage with him and their balls all over, you know, little, little balls, big balls, squishy balls, hard balls. And my daughter at the same time in gym class, they were doing a juggling unit. I mean, she was in first grade or kindergarten at the time. They're not going to necessarily juggle, but I just had this thought of like, Hmm, what if I taught myself to juggle? I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea how to do it, but playing with again all these play balls that I had around me I just picked up two of the same size and I started like playing with the weight a little bit and shifting it and I thought you know well how do I juggle things on a daily basis not well and I threw everything up and just let it come crashing down so it took some time but I actually like taught myself to not well but to juggle embodying that metaphor of literally trying to keep balls up in the air physically and metaphorically <laughs> and literally, literally and mentally, you know, so it's kind of like inviting in play, inviting in curiosity. When I go to the park with my kids, I don't do it a hundred percent of the time, but I try to engage in the apparatuses. I try to go on the playground with them and I'm not doing it for skill. I'm not trying to get better at the monkey bars. I'm just trying to be in my body instead of sitting on the bench on my phone, because that keeps me stuck. That keeps me on autopilot and it keeps me in my head. So giving ourselves permission to think out of the box of what we would normally do is challenging our movement. And so if there's a part of me that's like, I need to sit to recover, that's one thing. But if I'm sitting and it's not serving a purpose, 
then I think, what else can I be doing in this moment? And I will get up and take a walk with my kids or I will go sit on the swing, you know, and swing like I did when I was six. (laughs) (laughs) So I have an easier time, or I should say I'm more motivated to do things when I'm like, checking off like five different goals at the same time. <laughs> and an example yeah, of this to-do is, list. Yeah. yeah. Well, an example of this is my long walk in the morning. I already love the long walk. That's movement. That's what I'm getting there. But also I'm getting fresh air first thing in the morning. I'm getting sunlight and the vitamin D. And I also walk without sunglasses so that my body acclimates or aligns to the circadian rhythm of the sun a little bit more because I've read about mm-hmm. the benefits for that. Part of my walk, I walk backwards up a hill because I have a knee issue. Yeah, I do backwards a lot. <laughs> and I'm also in my barefoot style shoes so that I'm more stretching out my toes. So all of these things are happening at once. So when I'm skipping that walk, I'm not just skipping my movement. I'm skipping all of these things that add to my day. And right. so one thing that might be motivating for listeners when they're hearing about something like brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand, because it isn't as fun to do things on the hand that we're less good at it. It's hard to actually stick to that. It is. And we might have like, you know, toothpaste all over our mouth and all over the counter, but you can clean it up. You can clean it. It's okay. (laughs) And studies have shown when you are doing something out of your pattern, like brushing with your non-dominant hand or giving yourself a high five with your non-dominant hand. This is like one of the biggest teachings in Mel Robbins' new book, The High Five Habit, uh, was all about the whole point of doing the high five is that it's not something that you normally do. It disrupts you from your pattern. So in that moment that you're doing one of these things to not only break out of your movement patterns, you can also use that time to say something that you really want to remember and drive into your subconscious. And so this can be if you're like studying for a test, like studying vocab or something like that, or giving yourself an affirmation that is trying to change the way you think. Like if you know there's something that you hold, there a negative thought that always comes back, maybe use that time that you're also disrupting your patterns to then disrupt your thinking and Apparently, studies have shown that it's more likely to be ingrained within your mind or you learn it faster in those moments. So maybe that kind of habit stacking will help people. Yeah. I mean, the body, there's so many benefits, right, to, to, to moving and being in our body, again, outside of just the physicality of it. You know, I don't know that it's talked about a ton, but when you dive into the research, it's one of, if not the reason why dance is the most comprehensive form of exercise because it's challenging all of the systems all the time. Memory retention, cognition, patterning, movement, physicality, like it's all there. And you don't have to be a good dancer to engage and enjoy the benefits. But we, we talk ourselves out of it. We're like, I'm not good at that. I'm not going to do it, right? Oh, I'm a terrible this. I'm not going to do it. Instead of approaching it again from this, this place of curiosity and imagination and play of like, so what if I'm not good at it? there's something good for me when I do it. And sometimes the, the less experience you have in it, the better, because it's really pushing you out of that comfort zone. It's really allowing you to step out of that box of, um, of autopilot, you know, and of, of habit, of, of patterns that are not suiting us, not helping us get out of our own way. Yeah, there's so many ways we can challenge our movements. You know, I do it driving. I drive different routes when I can, because my neighborhood's pretty much a grid. You don't have to go the same way all the time. I take different streets constantly, whether I'm on foot or actually in my car. Um, and I have my kids, my daughter's like, this isn't the way home. I'm like, no, it is. This is another way home. <laughs> There's lots of ways to get to our house. And it just, it prevents me from being on autopilot, which 
sometimes is necessary, but we don't have to do it all the time. There are so many ways outside of that. You know, I'm not a chef by any means, but there are so many things of convenience that keep us out of our bodies. We get things delivered. We get things pre-diced, chopped, sliced, cut, all that good stuff. If you're listening and you love to cook, get stuff fresh, cut it yourself, you know, mix it yourself, slice it, dice it yourself. That's movement. That's movement. And anytime you can engage in more movement, you can expand your capacity to manage your emotional terrain. Well, there's so much to take away from this episode and and just it's fun too, because new ways of moving, I mean, it's one of the most exciting or the most like entertaining, enjoyable challenges that you can really do, or especially from a lot of the things that we've learned. So many of them are more mental, but just, just to get in our bodies and like dance. I had a uh, habit, it's been a couple years now, but you're inspiring me to bring it back where that was one of my things in the morning. It was one of my options for movement. It was just dance in my house and I turned music on really loud and I just haven't done that because there's nap times, but my baby loves music. And so every now and then I'll uh, turn on music and kind of dance, but I should get deeper into my body, not just do the little encourage my baby to dance dance. <laughs> so thank you for all of the wisdom that you shared and, and for sharing your story. And for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Uh, my website is ericahornball.com. Um, if you're a social media person, I tend to be more active on Instagram these days. My handle is the therapist who moves you. Or yeah, if you're interested per se in my my work, my writing, the book is called Body Aware. And it, it will be available in August wherever books are sold. So you can hop on the internet and check it out, order it at an independent store, wherever you want to, you know, support. If you want to support your local communities, those are always great. But, um, but yeah, you can just search Body Aware Erica Hornfall and it'll pop up. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x88. Your challenge for this week is to challenge your movement. Notice some of your default movement or even sitting patterns. How do you hold yourself when you sit? How do you carry yourself when you walk? Do you stand or walk or move differently when you're feeling down versus when you're feeling inspired or motivated? Can you take note of some of the ways that you do move when you're inspired and motivated? And can you just fake those when you're not? Take note of the way a change in movement makes you feel. I mentioned in the episode that I just like to get specific things throughout my day, especially in the morning, like a type of movement, a type of stillness, a type of nutrition. And while I like to keep a structured routine, the things within the routine might change. So I'm still spending time with myself time finding that stillness or that movement, but the way that I move or the way that I'm still might change. So I encourage you to try that with movement. One of the habits that I find most rewarding is dancing like a crazy person. (laughs) Dancing like literally no one is watching because no one really is watching. But the freedom in that is that you're not trying to look good or even keep to the beat. You're just trying to get every inch of your body moving, flailing about, just releasing the energy that you're carrying. So maybe that's how you try this exercise. Maybe every morning you just turn on your favorite song and you just dance wildly. 
And if it helps to not even call it dancing and call it something more like flailing, go for it. Other ways to challenge your movement is if you always do yoga, try going for a run or try Tai Chi or try literally anything else just to break some of those patterns. But the key with any sort of self-challenge is to really take note of how you feel. When I first started trying to take note of how I feel, the changes were so subtle. I was like, I don't even know. But just that intention, that awareness started to grow. So set an intention to notice these changes and bring awareness to that every single day. And you will start to feel those changes in a bigger way. And once you notice the changes, that's when it's so easy to make something a habit. Well, I wouldn't say so easy. There's, there's always a little bit of a challenge to it. Sometimes a lot of bit of challenge. But that's when it starts to become more motivating because you've found the intrinsic motivator. It's not just something that sounds nice anymore. You know that if you stop drinking, you feel more energy the next day. You feel your mood lifted the next day. I'm using a personal example. And once you know that certain types of movement make you feel more alive and more like the better version of yourself, the easier it is to come back to that practice over and over again. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right on the show notes page at x88. If you'd like to support MindLove, the best way to do that is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get early release episodes, an ad-free listening experience, over 50 exclusive episodes that are only available for premium members, and other bonuses like meditations. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which is arguably one of my favorite things to receive in the entire world. And I just might read your review on the show if you do leave one. And you can also find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time.